You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Let's get started, or keep going, say it better. It's great that we can gather and we can spend all of this time in worship. And just to realize that as we sing these songs, we're not here to be entertained. We're not here to hear a band. We're here to embrace and respond to the greatness of our Savior. And yet we thank God for how we are able to do that through song. If you're with us this morning, maybe it's your first time you're a visitor, we want you to know how glad we are that you're with us here at Fellowship Paragold. We hope that you will move from guest to family. And that's truly what we desire to be here as family. We seek to live together as a family and missionary servants. We do that not primarily, though, through our Sunday morning gathering, as important as this is to us, but through living our lives together in what we call missional communities. And at the end of the service, you'll receive some more information about that, but just already want to direct you towards that. Because as we go through this series we're continuing in this morning, we're talking about what it means to be the church. And so we'll often say, we, we don't ever really go to church. You can't go to church. Because church isn't a place. Church isn't an event. The church is a people. It's God's called together people gathered in Jesus Christ to be his people in this world, and particularly for us in the city of Paragold. So we've talked about what it means to be the church in four different ways. The first one was to gather together, like we're doing here. Although we go together, we don't de-emphasize what God does in the gathering. So we gather together in this large group setting. We gather in homes and in our daily lives as missional communities. We go together. That means we seek to be disciples who make disciples. And a disciple is someone who is committing or submitting all of their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we want to grow together. And this is what Jared talked about last week. That we don't only want to just seek to, to do a lot of things, to be wide as it were, but we want to go deep. We want to go deep. We want to get in God's word. And we don't only just want to get God in God's word so that we fill up our heads, but so that we change our hearts. And so this is so important. And Jared talked last week about some book card, bookmarks. We had to help you do that. That I was uh, failed in getting here to us on time. But they came in this week, and so we'll have them to you. And so guess who gets to be the lucky guy to preach on the last one? Me, give, right? Good news, you showed up for a sermon on giving this morning. Especially if it's your first time here. But what we're going to see is, is I, I am not ashamed to preach this. This is good, this is good news. Uh, this is God's word. Giving is not something that we should be ashamed to talk about. Or feel, Oh no, why did I bring my friend this week? You know, If I would have knew that, I would have waited. No, we, God is our good Father, and He only brings to us that which is good for us. And so we have good news today, and even, even more may be surprising to you. We're going to go to an Old Testament prophet to see this good news, the prophet Malachi. And so uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Malachi, or you can just turn your eyes to the screen, or you can flip out your phone, what, however you get to God's Word, just as long as we can get there together, that's the main thing. We're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. Verses 6 through 12. So Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. If you are looking in your Bible, I believe it's the last book in the Old Testament. So that helps you get there a little bit. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I don't know what I just said, but verses 6 through 12. And I'm just going to read along here with you on the screen. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 
From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God who does not change. God, in that we receive the, the comfort and conviction both that come together knowing that you are the same God as in Malachi. And Lord, help us to hear today that this is not some ancient, outdated, irrelevant letter or message or word that you gave to a people many, many, many years ago in the Middle East. But today you seek to take this through the power of your spirit and speak it to Paragord, Arkansas. We need you to do that, God. I pray that you take every word that I speak and what is not true would just fall dead to the ground. But what is true, Father, you would take and by your spirit you would pierce our hearts so that we see how much more we need your gospel. And God, I pray that above all today we would leave here this morning not being moved by any guilt but by the grace of God in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, fall is in the air, obviously. And for many of us, not me though, it starts to make people start thinking about shopping. Right? Christmas is coming. And something comes before Christmas right after Thanksgiving and that's what we call Black Friday. Now I don't understand Black Friday, but we know what happens on Black Friday. People literally get up early in the morning and go stand in line to give their money. To get rid of money. There's some of you in here on Thanksgiving night. I know you do it. You sit around the, the women. I've seen them do it in my family anyway. And they get a strategy. Right? They've got their cell papers. They've got their plan. Friday morning after Thanksgiving, we are going to attack this strategy. <laughs> we are going to make these purchases. We are going to get rid of this money. And of course, some of you might already be saying, Yeah, that's not giving money though. That's spending money so I can get something out of it. Yeah, I'll line up to give away my money, if you want to call it give, but I've got a vision of what, how beautiful it's going to be when I either receive this present I'm buying for myself or give it to someone else. And yet while those words come out of our mouth, it really does start to reveal our heart, doesn't it? That when it comes to giving, we think of it as bad news because if we're honest, most of us feel like, well, I don't really get anything out of that. You know, it's kind of just doing something God's told me to do. But is there really anything that I receive? You see, when we hear the call to give, we do not hear it as good news. Let's just be honest. Most of us don't anyway. 
I mean, I know if I look at what my, me and my wife set aside to give to the, to the mission of the whole church regularly and to the life of our missional community, I'd, I'd be lying to not tell you sometimes I sit back and I think, man, with that money, we could have a car payment. Man, with that money, just think of all the nights where we wouldn't have to cook and clean. Man, if we had that extra money, just think our kids could be involved in all of these extra activities. And I'd be lying to tell you that sometimes it's like, man, why do we have to do that? But what God wants us to hear this morning from His Word is it's not that we have to give, it's we get to give. It's not that God is calling us to something that is bad for us. It's not that giving is like a tax. It's not that like giving is a bill that you've received from God. Well, you better pay back. No, it's good news. And if we look into the New Testament, we're not going to look there at the book of Acts as we started this series about what it means to be the church. It's what you will find. And you can go back and look in Acts chapter 2 through 5. The people of God were actually lining up to give. It says they lined up to give so that they could meet the needs of the church and serve the people in their city. Now, why in the world would they be doing that? It's because the gospel was so fresh on their hearts. They knew that Jesus had just died and he had just risen and he had just given them a new life from their dead religion. So they didn't have to have their arms twisted. They didn't have to, to go through like some detailed Bible study. Well, can you tell me exactly how the tithe relates to the new covenant church? They didn't have to be persuaded. They didn't have to be cajoled. No, they were responding to the gospel. But when we look in the book of Malachi, though, we see Israel, the people of God, at a different place. You see, they were further along down the road from where they had seen the mighty acts of God done and things like the Exodus where God had delivered Israel from slavery. And so they're in a similar situation to us. Or it's sort of like, yeah, God, you're pretty good. But my stuff is better. What the people of Malachi had to see is that giving... It's not bad news, it's good news. And if we are going to be people who are the church, who actually be the church, then we have got to grasp the good news of giving. Well, how is giving good news? Well, the first thing we see here in verses 7 through 9 is that giving is good news because our God is a personal God. He's a personal God. Notice again in verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? What God is saying here is because Israel, you have failed to see me as personal. When it comes to living in relationship with me, you think it's not really a big deal. Instead of running to God, especially when it comes to giving, the people of Israel ran from God. And so the text here says, and this is where we see that this is a matter that is personal. Notice verse 8, will man rob God? You see, in Israel's giving, they weren't just failing to fulfill a prescription. They weren't just failing to execute a procedure. They were failing to regard God as their father whom they lived in relationship with. And so we hear this striking indictment. You're robbing God. 
Now, some of us might start to think, well, maybe, you know, I've studied literature. Is that a hyperbole? Is that a metaphor? Or is this just an outright exaggeration of some prophet? And yet what we have to come to grips with is, no, this is the Spirit of God speaking the truth. Because what Israel should have known better than anybody, what we should know, is that this was the God of creation that was their God. Yahweh, the Lord. That there was nothing that they had, nothing in this world that they had received that had not been given by Him. There's nothing in this world that is not God's, and anything that we have is His. He has just entrusted us with it. And so to not respond to Him in giving as He called them to, it was robbery. Also, He was the God who was not only the Lord of creation, but He was the Lord of the covenant. That is, He had entered into a relationship with Israel. He had not just called them a people, He called them His people. And He did not only just call them His people, He called them His children. And when Israel decided that they would live as if God was not their father, but just some deity in the sky whom they had to tolerate, then they brought themselves under a curse. That's what verse 9 says. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And what this curse was, was basically because they failed to live in that covenant relationship with God as father, that God, it's not as if he punished them, he just removed himself. The curse was the, the fields no longer bore fruit. The curse was that the, the creation un, left unrestrained by God's power and grace was devouring their fields. So basically God says, you want to be God? You don't want a relationship with me? You want to run from me? Well, let's see how that works out for you. I read an article this week. and Some of you hopefully won't want to go read this now. It said, how to justify theft in the workplace. I'm, I'm serious. It didn't take much Googling, even for me, to find it. How to justify theft in the workplace. And you know how you justify theft in the workplace, what it says? Is you have to realize that these people that you work for, you can't think of them as people. It's just a corporation. It's just the business. If you talk to many people who steal you'll see that many of them will say, well, I didn't think it was a big deal. Because what's it really going to hurt this big business anyway? Do they really need my money for that candy? Is that how you view God? Just like a divine corporation in the sky? Just like he's a business calling you to cooperate. Just like you are a cog in his will. Like we said earlier, just as if he sent you a bill. You see, giving will only be good news to us when God becomes personal. Personal. He's not a corporation. He's not a fairy tale. He is your father. I've heard of this happening to people before, and I can only imagine what it would be like to happen to me, and that is to, to find my children stealing from me. To find where maybe me and my wife keep a stash of cash in our house, and then to go to that and to see that we're missing some money, and to wonder what happened to it, only to find out our kids were taking money from us. I can just imagine what that conversation would be like, and then my kids saying, yeah, but you don't need the money. 
What's the big deal? And what would you say? This is what I would say to him. It's not about the money. It's about the relationship. I'm your father. I love you. Do you not trust me? Do you not respect me? You see, God does not need our money. He wants your heart. He wants you to give in light of a relationship, not in light of a rule. I remember our house was hit by a tornado, what was it, 2011, back in Tennessee. And we had to move out of town. Our house was destroyed. It was this horrible situation. And we remember coming back, and like one of the only few possessions we had left was this freezer. And later we found out we had just misplaced it. But... <laughs> At the moment, it was gone. And we thought it had been stolen. And I'll just, I just remember that anger welling up in me and other people like, who, who, who do people think they are to steal, to rob? I mean, what do we think about thieves usually? We just, we're, I got no use for a thief, right? Because a thief, man, that reveals somebody's character. They think so much of themselves and so little of other people. And what God's word says to us here in no uncertain terms is that if we are not giving to God as he's calling us to give, we are a thief. We have put ourselves before him and we might say, and we've talked about this before so I'm not going to lay it out in detail today. Well, that was in the Old Testament. You know, we're not called to give in exactly the same way. And You know, I've already told you here, it's mainly about a relationship, not a rule. But this is what Jesus has to say about it. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is, whatever you treasure most, that is the God that you worship. And so he calls his people to give, to give, again, proportionately, sacrificially, prayerfully, cheerfully, and regularly, to give as worship. To give not just of your money as worship. Don't just hear it just as that. Do hear it as that. But to give of your time. To give of your talents. To see that how you give of yourself in service. Is how you show what your heart really serves. And not to hear this as sort of a guilt driving word. But again it's your father who's saying trust me. It's a father speaking to his kids. Why are you taking why are you taking that and not trusting me? Which leads us to our next point that giving is good news not just because we have a personal God, but we have a providing God. Notice at the beginning of verse ten. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So Israel here is failing to see that God is their provider. Okay, so they're not trusting he's going to provide for them. And so what they do is they negotiate how much they're going to give. Malachi is really getting all up in our business this morning, isn't he? Right? Trust me, I didn't write this. Okay? So they start negotiating. Well, you know, God, I might trust you with this much, but I can't trust you with that much. And so what they begin to do is they begin to put the advance of their own kingdom over his mission. And this is what we see in the next part of verse 10, where he says, 
He says, bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, why does God need food in his house? Is it because God's hungry and he wants you to keep his pantry full? No. God's house at this point in the history of salvation was the temple. Okay? In the temple at this period of time, God dwelt in a particular place and his presence was to be encountered in that place as sacrifices for sin were offered through a priesthood that led the people of Israel in actually declaring and displaying the glory of God in the world. And what God is saying is, Israel, when you don't give as I'm calling you to give, it's not that you're, again, just not keeping a rule. It's you're undermining my mission in this world. It's that if the priests that, that perform these duties for me within my temple are not provided for, because I've not given them any land, I've told them to live here and to serve me, then guess what? there won't be sacrifices offered. Then guess what? All of these duties that I have given them to be fulfilled for the display of my glory and for your own good will not be fulfilled. So no ministry of the temple meant no mission being accomplished. And the heart behind this was the fact, again, that they did not trust God to be able to provide. So he says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Hmm. This, these are strong words. I mean, I, I don't know anywhere else in the Bible we see God say, Put me to the test. Do you realize this is God throwing the gauntlet down on every one of our reservations and hesitations? Saying, test me. Go for it. Test me. They were unwilling to do so at this point. And so what they were doing was forfeiting their reputation, their identity, and their purpose among the nations. Verse 12, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. That's because at this point the nations were not calling Israel blessed. The nations were looking at Israel and they're saying, Israel looks just like everybody else. They're just struggling and joylessly have some God who they serve because they have to, not because they get to. They failed to believe that God would provide it for them if they sacrificed and giving to his mission. Now, my children, if you've been around them for any period of time, will know they are by far from, far from perfect. Okay? Far from perfect. But there was, you know, we have those days, even with crazy kids like ours, where you just think, wow, maybe there is hope. <laughs> and I remember one of those times, uh, about two summers ago before we moved here, me and my middle son, Elisha, went and helped these guys clear out a warehouse that they were selling. And so we worked, and he got in there, and he helped a little bit. I guess he was... Uh, five years old at the time, four or five. And at the end of the day, the man that we were helping gave him a $10 bill. And we were working in this downtown area, and as we left from working in this air warehouse, we drove under this bridge, and he saw something that he had never seen before. He saw a homeless man. And so he sees this homeless man just with his little bag of stuff propped up against the, the post that's holding up the bridge, and he asked me about it. He says, why is that man just sitting out under the bridge? And I, I described to him, you know, what was going on, that this man, you know, was without a home, without food, didn't have anything, and he started asking questions, and uh, it, it just became clear to him, well, this guy, he, he doesn't have any way to take care of himself. And, ho and so he said, and again, hopefully it was the Holy Spirit, 
He said, why don't we buy him some food? And I said, would you like to take that $10 you made and go buy him some pizza? And he goes, yeah, I would. And I said, are you sure? You don't have to. And he goes, yeah. And so we drove to Little Caesars, and, and we got him a pizza, but not just a pizza, but like a two-liter of Mountain Dew. We're trying to promote the health of homeless people. <laughs> and, uh, and so we just, we just, he just got him what he would like, right? He got him what he would like. And I said, well, okay, you need to take it up and give it to him, Elisha, because this is your idea. And then we're going to pray for him because we want, we want to give it to him in Jesus' name. Okay, so we went there. I remember it, he was nervous, but he, he, I finally ended up having to help hold him with him and hold it. And he said like a quick prayer, and then I prayed, prayed for the guy even longer. It was it a was pretty, pretty good moment. But do you think for one second that my child is not going to have supper that night because he did that? Do you think that now I'm going to be moved to withhold from him what he needs? No, he's going to be taken care of. And God is a much greater father than I will ever be. Do you think if you say, I'm going to trust God and put his mission first in my life, where it matters, in my bank account, in my time, in my talents, do you think he's going to now just walk away from you and not take care of you? No. He is going to provide for you if you put his mission first. Now, we don't live in an old covenant time. We don't come to a physical temple. But we read in the New Testament that Jesus has become that temple. He is the place where people meet with God. He is the place where the ultimate sacrifice is offered so that we can dwell with God. And as we join with Jesus, we, his church, become his temple presence in this world. We join as the place where God has said, I will equip my people through pastors who equip all of the priests whom we all now are in Jesus. But he calls the church to give so that men can be freed up to equip the people. He calls the church to give so that resources can be provided to move this mission along. He calls for us to give not so that we can build bigger buildings and have bigger budgets and boast of bigger numbers, but so that we can be a blessing to the world, so that Jesus' name can be exalted, and so that we can make disciples who are the church, who gather, grow, go, and give for the glory of God. And so he calls us today to put him to the test in our giving. Well, pastor... I, won't, I just won't have enough after I do it. You don't realize I only make $100 a week, even if, say, I use this tithe as my starting point, which we recommend all to do, and that's what our family does. That'd be $10 out of 100 I just wouldn't make it. And there's others of you in here, well, I make 100000 a year, and if I give starting like that, that'll be 10000 It just isn't realistic. I mean, I'm just silent because I just imagine that's probably what God is being in heaven. <laughs> do you not believe I'll take care of you? Do you think I would command you to do something and then leave you hanging? <coughs> he has enough. He has more than enough to give. 
And you will never experience God to be God until you actually put Him in the place to be God. You know what I'm saying? We all, starting with this guy right here talking, want to live as in such a way we don't have to depend on God. And then we call that wisdom. I want to live, I want to, I want to take care of myself so God's not necessary and call that wisdom. That's not wisdom. That's idolatry. Just talking this past week, I've got a, a brother that I meet with regularly and been challenging him to step up in this, this area. And so he, he and his wife started, they said, we're going to give. We're going to give as God commands. We're going to give this, this much to the, to the life of the church as a whole and continue to give above and beyond in the life of our missional communities. It started off rough. He swiped his card, and guess what? Last week it charged him three times. That's how we get people. No, <laughs> But, uh... You're not going to give, then we, we'll get it. No, uh, no. we made sure the money went back. But this is a guy who's having to sacrifice, okay? So it made him nervous, right? That needs to get back in there soon enough so I can cover my bills. And then the next day, his radiator blows out on his car. It just seems like everything's falling apart. And he said, I thought God was going to provide. See, you may, you, if you give, that doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to walk, you know, Ed McMahon's going to be knocking at your door with a million dollars. But what God was doing in this, brother, is he's getting to experience, well, am I really giving for the right reasons? Am I giving out of worship? Am I giving because it's more blessed to give than to receive? Or am I just giving because I just feel like I'm supposed to do this as the next step of spiritual maturity? But what was amazing, and I can't promise this will happen to you because we didn't see it happening, is that Wednesday morning at his job, he was called in and given a raise larger than anybody in his position had got before. I can tell you when we moved here, we, and I did it with my white knuckles, had to sell basically everything we owned to come here and leave a comfortable position. And my wife had always been at home with the kids and now she was going to have to go work. And I never did anything that required, you know, what I was about to have to do. I had learned to drive a forklift and probably about killed a thousand people. <laughs> but you know what we got to experience? That this isn't a fairy tale. That we're not making up this stuff. You will never get to experience God. You won't have the stories. Don't you want the stories? You're only going to have the stories of God providing for you when you put yourself in a position for Him to provide for you. And when you do this, then you will point other people to your giving. You know there's so many people out there who are like, yeah, I know they talk all that talk, but at the end of the day, they're just finding all their joy and all the same stuff as we are. I mean, no wonder the world looks at us as if we're just another religious group. Because we really believe what Jesus said and true, especially in our generation, is we believe we can have it but all, don't we? I can be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, and I can live the American dream. I can have it both. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You will choose. 
And some of you are like me, but I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and it seems nobody else is doing it, so am I going to do it if nobody else is going to do it? And again, our hearts are revealed in that moment. As we're not going to sit back and seek to judge other people on what they're doing or not doing, but each of us are going to stand before God and say, am I standing here giving out of my time, my talents, my finances, out of worship to you, and not in competition or comparison to anyone else? You see, the fact of the matter is in here, even if you were to say, I don't believe in anything like tithing or giving, you're already doing it. You're just doing it to some other God. I mean, everybody in here, what, we put back for vacation, we put back for education, we put back for sports, we put back for concerts, we put back for Christmases, we put back for surgeries, we put back for vehicles. Guess what? You're already tithing. You're already giving proportionately. You're already giving sacrificially. You're just doing it to what you value the most. And at the root of it, it's because... You've not yet grasped the good news that God is greater than those things and he will provide for you when you put him first. Which leads us to our last thing and in my mind the best, so it's good. Giving's not just good news because God's personal and because he will provide for us. It's because he's gracious. We need to go back to verse 6. We purposely put this first verse in the last place this morning. We hear these words, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It is really awesome if you read through the Old Testament and you see how Israel messes up, screws up, fails, and outright (laughs) commits adultery on God over and over again. And guess what? God never leaves them. He never fails. He never changes. The promises he made them, I will be your God, He never goes back on that, no matter how rebellious they are, no matter how long they don't give as he calls them to give of their time, their talents, and their finances. He doesn't give up. And guess what? That same Lord, that same God is unchanging, and he's here today, and he's not sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed, looking down at you saying, "Mm -mm -mm, I can't believe y'all don't give how you're supposed to. He is looking down this morning on love, And he's saying, yeah, you've left me. Yeah, you've forsaken me. Yeah, you've put me last. Yeah, you said let's take care of everything else and then we'll see what's left over that you can have. Yeah, you give me the leftovers. But guess what? I give you my best. He gives us his best. His grace is our only support. And isn't that amazing? I hope that our congregation here has seen It's a Wonderful Life. I know we're younger, but you need to watch it no matter how young or old you are. It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas movie, George Bailey, right, will do anything to to save his town. Even at the point when he's going on his honeymoon, finally when he gets to marry the girl of his dreams, and they've got all this money, and he's always wanted to get away and he's flipping through this big wad of cash in the back of the car as they're on the way to their honeymoon. And then they see over at the Bailey Building and Lawn or there's this, this, this bank scare in town. And they end up at the end of it. He gives all of his money away to save his town. And there he is, stuck again. And we see the story of his life as he continues to sacrifice, to give, and to serve for the sake of that city. 
And then at the end of the movie, he feels like everything's falling apart. He goes, he attempts to commit suicide, but he's saved by an angel. He gets this vision of what the city would have been like had he not been there. And then it brings him back to his house. And when he comes back to his house, as he thinks, well, we're broke. We're going under. Old man Potter's about to take over the town. And he sees this amazing sight that all the people of this city are lined up inside and outside his house to give. Why in the world would people be lined up with smiles on their faces to give? It's because they knew we can never outgive him. He has already given so much to us. Giving is just a natural response. And when we look at the gospel, this is what we see. God could consume us, but he has loved us with an unchanging love. For God so loved the world, he gave. Jesus became the perfect giver for us. We are all imperfect givers. Again, beginning with myself. But Jesus lived a life of total submission and total service where he gave everything to his Father. He was the Son of God, and yet we read in the New Testament that he didn't even find a place to lay his head. He humbled himself to become obedient, taking the form of a servant, being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. God gave us his best. He gave us his son. And then we read in Romans 8.32 that if he who gave us his son who did not spare his own son for us, will we now think that he's not going to give us everything we need? Think of that. If God the Father sent his own son to die for you and gave him for you, is he now going to hold back on you? As someone said, will the one who gave his best now nickel and dime you? You see, God doesn't want to twist your arm or call you to something bad when it comes to giving. He wants to set you free to be like Him. When we sacrifice, we are responding to God's greater giving in the gospel. And we've experienced this even so much more greatly in Malachi's day. And as we come to the to seek to land this plane. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to preach this to you this morning. But I want to show you what it looks like today when you get the fact that you can't outgive God. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We read this. We want you to know, brothers, this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. Corinthian church who are really wanting to keep your hands on the on your pocketbook, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, not in the good times, but the bad times, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty, so not when they had a lot, but when they had little, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, so they gave proportionately, as I can testify, and beyond their means, they gave sacrificially of their own accord. They didn't have to have their arms twisted. Begging us earnestly for the favor and taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They didn't do it because some apostle or pastor 
forced them. They gave themselves to the Lord. And then only after that by the will of God to us. And so he says, Accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, love, earnestness, and our love for you, so you're, you're nailing it in all these areas, but see that you excel in this act of grace also, giving. I say this not as a command. It's not, it's not about a rule, it's about a relationship. What kind of relationship? To prove the earnestness of other, to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. It's a sign of your love. And why do we do this? Verse 9, memorize this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So that we might have everything we need in him. Do you realize in 2006 that Yahoo could have purchased Facebook? I didn't know that. In 2006, Yahoo made a deal with Mark Zuckerberg. They even shook hands. But Yahoo backed out because they got nervous. Maybe this thing's going to tank around the corner. Epic mistake, right? <laughs> Epic mistake. They tried to come back and it was too late. And can you imagine that that guy who was there over that deal, he's probably out of a job right now, isn't he? Do you realize what God is calling us to in our giving is to get in on the greatest investment in the history of the world? So that when you die, what you leave behind is not a lot of stuff that's going to go in a yard sale or a picture book but is going to make a difference for all of eternity. And we think we're playing it safe by negotiating and playing God when it comes to our giving, when actually we're doing the opposite. Because there's no risk on this investment. There's no scheme behind it. Just look to the cross and to the resurrection, and you know you can bank on your return. But the only way we get there is realizing this isn't just about a law. It's personal. Realizing it's not about depending on yourself, but a God who will provide for you. And realize this isn't some preacher just trying to get in your pockets. It's about a God who wants to get into your heart. Father, today we ask you, by your grace, to help us embrace the good news of giving. Father, I ask you to forgive me because I know in so many ways, finances, time, talents, gifts, resources, I try to, I know it, I try to put myself in positions where I don't need you to come through. Father, forgive us where we use wisdom as an excuse for obedience. Father, forgive us where in practice, we have made ourselves look as if our joy comes from the same thing as those who don't know Jesus. And God, thank you and just give us hope and joy to realize right now that we stand, in spite of our disobedience, fully approved of in Jesus Christ. And you just want us to join in the fun, join in the, the mission that will last for all eternity. So we pray you do this, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.